five, four. Welcome to another episode of Talking Kotlin, uh, where we have just spent the last minute or so trying to do a five-second countdown in which Hadi realized that the visual part doesn't translate to our audio listeners. Uh, but, you know, that's just how we roll here. Hey, Hadi. Hello, Sebastian Eigner. I'm going to call you by your full name from now on. I'm going Am to be... I in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. usually the sign that I'm in Mr. trouble. Mr. Eigner! Yes. Mr. Eigner! <laughs> how, how do they say it? Uh, how, what's it? Um, Herr Eigner! Herr Eigner! Yes, exactly. Herr Eigner! Yeah. Words Come you never here. want to hear. Come in here. <laughs> <laughs> Come and see here. Yes, exactly. Come and see here. Here, Agna. Come and see here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. How are you, Seb? I am a okay. I'm great. I'm well rested. Looking forward to talking some Kotlin. Yeah. What? Well, I'm not well rested. I actually did something that I don't usually do. Last night. Shall I tell you about it? I went out, and <gasps> uh, yeah, it's it was crazy. I went out to a restaurant and had some tapas. Uh, tapas is is what you have in Spain when you can't afford food. You just <laughs> order one and everyone takes from the center. Uh, I wonder if that's how tapas came about. Anyway, and uh, so I came home at one o'clock and uh, my dog, as she does always, the, the smaller one, she's like, yeah, you're still getting up at 5.21 in the morning. I don't care that you went out. So I'm really tired this morning. But anyway, um, let's do it. Did you see what I did? You see what I just did there? Let's yes. do it. That's that's amazing, man. Segway, baby. Segway. Yeah, what, what a coincidence! Because today on the show we have Gonzalo, who is uh, one of the developers at Doist. Welcome to the show, Gonzalo. Hi, Sebastian. Hi, Hadi. Thanks for having me. And by the way, that pun happens all the time. We have this tendency of um. using this suffix everywhere, and it's kind of a an internal debate. And here's me thinking I was original. <laughs> No, you're on brand. You're on brand. <laughs> yeah. So what are people who work at Duist called? Are they called Duistas? Yes. Really? <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we well, embrace. We embrace it. Uh, <laughs> and and so someone that um, is uh, about to join, is is that a to-do? Oh. <laughs> oh. We don't have a name oh. for that. They're, they're a Duister oh. from day one. So no differences there. Well, before before we dive into uh, uh, what Doist is and what you folks do with Kotlin, I'm actually kind of curious what your opinion is on tapas. I love tapas. I mean, I'm, I'm highly exposed to tapas, right? Like I'm right next door. Uh, Spain was the primary destination for vacations when I was little. So uh, we also have a lot of tapas here. So it's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I get the idea that it's an economic choice, but it's also kind of pretty good to taste a lot of different things instead of going all in on one dish, right? So yeah, I was know. just joking with the economic choice, though. I mean, like, it, it's just <laughs> I know, a, I know, it's actually thing. a lot more expensive to go for tapas <laughs> than a single dish. Usually. Exactly, um, and and here's the funny thing: like I've always noticed when you go for tapas, you're like, oh, let's order some of this, 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 and then before you know it, it's it's more expensive than like a, you know a two course meal. Um, so actually, whereabouts are you based in Portugal? I'm in Porto, up north. In Porto. I have been to nice. Porto. Me too. I have been to Porto. Yes. We, were we there together? Yes. That was, oh, that yes, was we were. for ICPC. Uh, and you have, uh, you have wine in Porto. And you have a lot of stairs. A lot of stairs. 
Okay, um, I see. You I was at the, the tower. Yeah, I, yeah. I was like, I was at the at the top, and I would walk down, and then I realized that I used to have to walk back up, um, which was a major pain <laughs> all the time. It's, it's it's good for your health, though. So yeah, it is. So yeah, and uh, just just because we can't get away with it, uh, how is the weather like in in Porto right now? It's great. It's sunny. Uh, I mean, we're all concerned about global warming, but it seems to do wonders <laughs> here uh, because it's usually raining, right? Like most of the winter, cold rain, but we haven't had any of that this year or last year. Actually, in the last many years, we're in trouble, but it it's good. Today, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. But don't worry about the global warming thing. I, I watched a YouTube video the other day that said it's all just a lie. So we're good. Oh, that's Everything's okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see, you, uh, I see you're trying <laughs> to get us a, a, a Spotify exclusive license, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. <laughs> so for those people uh, who don't know what do is this, Gonzalo, could you maybe just give people the super quick rundown? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we have a highly ambitious mission of building the future we want to work in. And obviously, we do that through tooling. Uh, a lot of people know us from Todoist, the task manager, the personal to-do list that, you know, the, with a red icon. Uh, we're also building Twist, which is a team communication app, which takes a, you know, it's a different take on team communication, more focused on asynchronous communication. And <clears throat> we Basically, for both of these products, we build native apps for Android, iOS, you know, macOS, uh, Windows, and so on and so forth. Although we do, we use Electron on the desktop only. Uh, so. <laughs> I was yeah. like getting excited there, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, we use Electron. <laughs> well, there, there was a time there were where they were fully native, but honestly, actually, we might talk a little bit about this, but we had more complaints about people that wanted it to look more like the web version than you know. <laughs> So. I love people. I, I I absolutely love people. You know, you 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 make something like we used to get for the uh for um our IDEs. I want your stuff to look more Mackie. What's Mackie? Like more for Mac OS, okay? Then you make it for Mac OS and like I want it to look more like the web. It's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we had that experience. So we Honestly, it was an experiment. We just tried out, like, you know, can we reuse the web version and maybe even save some energy for the other stuff we're doing? And will people even notice? And, like, there was no friction at all. So, actually, that was disappointing for me because I was a huge advocate for this effort of native first everywhere. And that definitely is the case on mobile. I don't think people will settle for anything that's not, like, super polished and native. But on the desktop, I think... Maybe because a lot of applications and services compromise already, so it, you know it's what we're used to. Uh, but yeah, it was a smooth transition back into the shared land. But still, it's four code bases per product. That that was kind of the point I was making before. So nice. All right, not bad. Um, and how does Kotlin play into this whole picture? So Kotlin has multiple roles at Doist. We started the classical way with Android, although it was five years ago. So I could say, I know Kotlin is like over 10 years now, but uh, it was still kind of a niche thing back then. I remember the stairs <laughs> when we were experimenting with it back in 2016. Um, 
and I mean, it gained a lot of traction with our Android team very, very quickly. So I think in about one year, over half of our code base was already in Kotlin. And we didn't even do any dedicated effort. It was just like people doing their work and just using Kotlin first and foremost. Okay, sorry. I, I just want to interject there for, for a quick question. Is that just because your code base was growing so quickly uh, and new code was written in Kotlin? Or did you make an, uh, a dedicated effort to rewrite existing code into Kotlin? That's it. We did not. Um, something the team did a lot was when they were working on something, they would first go convert the file, you know, make that pull request of you know just conversion, and then do the work that they wanted to do. So okay. it was kind of like very opportunistic. Uh, but you know, step by step, over a year, multiple people working together, you actually touch a lot of things. So if for everything they touched, we touched, we converted it to Kotlin. It was kind of like a, you know, it had a lot of momentum there. Is is that a process that that went pretty smoothly? Because my my initial thought when you when you said, uh, oh, we we convert each file and then we make the change, my my initial thought was, you guys are real confident in in the Java <laughs> to Kotlin converter. <laughs> well, that's a good point, and actually, that that the converter actually works really well, although it does not write very uh, idiomatic code. So in the end, you have to go in and rethink things a little bit. Um, and everybody was kind of doing that. And I think that shows how pleasant the language was for the team in comparison, because that's effort that you need to do, right? To look at things and think, you know, is this the Kotlin way of doing this? Uh, or is it just the Java way translated into a different <laughs> syntax? And I think most of the time, most of us were doing that consistently. So it was actually a non-issue, to be honest. So, so but but just to, to wrap up this topic, you uh, people auto-converted, then they manually check it, then they check it in, uh, then they make their change, and that's the, that's the new pull request? Is that what it looked like? Yeah, kind of. They converted, they ran the tests. If the test suit was green, they would like check this in. It was just a conversion. And then they would make the change they were going to make in the first place, but now in the Kotlin code base. So yeah, so automatic conversion tests, uh, manual adjustments to make it more Kotlin-esque tests, check that in, make the change, and move on, basically. Yeah. Fair enough. That was the case for about, I would say, two years. Although after year one, we were well underway into using Kotlin only on the Android app. Eventually, a little bit later on, we had a couple of microservices in Kotlin. Mm, with what? Let me guess, Spring? No, it's Ktor. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's been in production for like three, four years now. Uh, our it hasn't crashed? <laughs> not really. It's an, again, like it's, it's, it's code we like because it's un uneventful. It's just how it works. It's like not something we talk about, right? So, um, and more recently, we've been doing a little bit more experimentation with Kotlin multi-platform, mostly because multi-platform is something we have talked about for a long time, as you, as you can guess, right? Like four code bases, two products. So it's eight code bases. We share so much. And as much as we try to do a good job in terms of writing our specs and agreeing on our contracts and like synchronizing between teams, it's like, Entropy creeps in. Even if we do an amazing job today, in one year from now, people fix different bugs, and then boom, you're again off sync. And we feel this all the time. So we've tried many things to bring our code bases closer in terms of the source of truth uh, through, you know, reading JSON definitions, common tests, like all kinds of weird stuff. But 
lately we've also been investing uh, in Kotlin multi-platform and seeing if we can, you know, what if instead of having these common definitions or common contracts, we just have common code and, and move on. Yeah, I guess that's our history with Kotlin. What, what is the situation right now in terms of the mobile application? Oh, it's full Kotlin. So Full Kotlin on iOS and Android? No, no. iOS, it's Swift. So fully native. Okay, so, I mean the, the shared code. You're, you're using the multi-platform or you're not? We're trying to. So we've run a few experiments, and we have a little bit of shared code. Um, actually, between Android and iOS, it's pretty, pretty good. So it, this is just a matter of time, I feel, until we have more uh, common code. Uh, we started some with some internal libraries that we already had. We converted them to Kotlin, and we're using Kotlin multi-platform for that. Uh, lately, we've also been trying to loop in you know, the web app, although that's being a little bit bumpier. And at some point, we, we're actually discussing doing this on the server too, because I said we had a couple of microservices in Kotlin, but our main server code base is in Python. And we have this idea of leveraging Kotlin native and C extensions in Python to actually also use uh, shared libraries on the backend on the Python code base. But we'll see how that goes. We haven't actually done that work yet. Okay, so when it comes to multi-platform and Kotlin, where are you using it the most between which platforms? Uh, Android and iOS, for sure, because that's what okay. we have in production. The web okay. we have tried a couple times, or we don't. We're not really using it in production. And yet. with the server side, are you sharing anything? No, we're with not the case sharing. Server? Okay. So now I want to ask you some questions that I guess we have, and uh, many folks have. Is how do you, you know, one of the big greatest hurdles of adoption. Uh, with Kotlin multi, mo, 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 KMM, um, and, I, 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 and, I, and I say that every day. Uh, with uh, K, you know, that's what we should do. You know, the whole she shells, she sells, she sells seashells on the seashore. We should do hmm. something like that for Kotlin multi-platform mobile. Uh, <laughs> taking into account that a lot of people say to you, uh, say to us, or ask us, how do I convince? iOS developers to start um, using this. Can you tell us how you convinced iOS developers to start using this? Well, I'm I'm lucky to work with people. Like, I actually was uh, somebody from the Apple team who was pushing the strongest for this. So <laughs> we kind of like didn't have this problem. Are they looking for a job as a developer advocate by, by any chance? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure, but I won't ask. <laughs> the but I think overall, like the, the 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 best thing one can do, and this is what this person did, was like show, like don't tell, show. So they 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 picked, they basically picked a, a small demo. It was uh, something we do in both of our apps, which is sorting and filtering things. And they said, you know, hey, here's a source of common problems. Every few years, we realize our sorting has diverged somehow. So I just implemented a very basic sorting in Kotlin, in Swift in JavaScript, and I'm just trying to, you know, let's load the JavaScript into a web view in iOS and Android and sort, um, you know, 10,000 things. Uh, let's do this with Kotlin. Let's use this uh, with uh, with Swift in both applications, again, via on Android, via basically uh, the equivalent to the GNI, which I don't recall the name, but native, yeah, the NDK. So, and eventually the numbers kind of like speak for themselves because the, 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 the code, the way the code itself is simpler, the numbers are pretty good, so it kind of becomes like a really 
obvious choice, like without many trade-offs, right? So I think the best way to sell this idea is to show how it can work, like picking a tiny, tiny project, something again, like just sorting and filtering a list, something, something that's, let's say, common in someone's application or service and demoing it for other people. Like, you know, here's how that could look like. And how actually do you do you run these kind of demos uh, in inside the company? Do you have like uh, like lunch and learn type things where where people get together and, and check out new technologies? Do you, do you write internal blog posts? How does that work? Yeah, I think it's much closer to the internal blog post idea. So most of our communication is asynchronous, so we don't get together that much. So. What this was in the end was a, a readme file in a repository uh, explaining all the tests with you know charts of performance, code complexity, and all that. And then next to that, there was an internal post explaining like you know what this person did, how they did it, and you know some key takeaways from that uh, experiment. Uh, and of obviously proposing next steps, which was basically, you know, let's do this again, but with a real project. Let's try this with something that's real and we can get into production, which is when I said before that we have a few things that are already shared between Android and iOS. These were the next steps after this demonstration. You, you raise a really simple um, point, which is often quite obvious, right? Yes, show people the value. I mean, we always say this. And we do try and show people the value of everything, and that's the best way to convince them. But it just made me realize that so many times when we're talking about this, we're we're saying, you know, you're going to share code, right? You're going mm -hmm. to share code, and you're going to write code that you only have to write once, blah, 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 and this and that. And we don't do what your colleague did, which is let's take a specific example of sorting algorithm, and let's agree that we had this problem that our algorithms diverge over the years. Mm -hmm. And how could we avoid that? You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. it, it kind of feels like saying to someone, we're going to share code, oftentimes, even though it's bloody, you know, common sense and, and simple and in your face, and you know exactly what it means, they actually might lose sight of of, of what it really means. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. I think it makes perfect sense. I was having a discussion with a friend yesterday about how I dislike React's design overall. And the first thing he told me was like, but why? Show me. You know, I don't understand like this aesthetics argument without seeing some examples. And it's actually a great exercise to go in and find, you know, I don't like this because of that. I don't like that because of that. And like you're working with very specific things. And this other person will understand your argument, even if they disagree with it. And I think yeah. with Kotlin multi-platform, it's the same thing. We can talk all day about how useful it might be on the theoretical plane to share code between all of these platforms. But obviously, I think people are skeptical because they are burned by prior tech and prior approaches, not naming any names, but things weren't as smooth in the past. Uh, and they want to see. They want to see the argument. They want to see it working. They want to see the low trade-offs idea in practice, not on paper, because on paper, everything is easy, right? So I also think sometimes we are paralyzed by the complexity of things. Like, I think many people actually want to show a demo, but maybe they go immediately after something they already need. You know, like, let's rebuild something we have. And then you have a very big scope. 
maybe you can't do this alone. Maybe you can't do this in a timely manner, like in a week or two or, or even a month, right? If you're alone. So keeping that scope very low, like doing the minimum you can do to show something to, to somebody else, to your team, whoever that is, uh, I think are like necessary to make this a successful effort where you actually do something, but you're not paralyzed by the scope of what you're trying to build or demonstrate. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the idea of the context matters. You know, we talk so many times about how someone gets up on stage and a, a speaker at a conference and says, you know, my company, whether it's Netflix or whatever company has moved to microservices and everyone's like, oh, they've moved to microservices. I should too. Right. Mm. Oh, well, uh, Doist has moved to KMM. I should too. Yes, you totally should. But that's, that's, <laughs> that's another matter. But but the point is that context matters. Just like you shouldn't move to microservices or whatever or KMM or whatever just because someone else has done it, it also matters how exactly is it going to solve your specific issue. And and going to that and, and having a champion inside the company that says, look, this is the reason that it's going to solve our issues because I know about our issues. You know about our issues. This is how it's going to address it. I think that's the best sell. That's the best sell. Would you agree, Seb? As a, as a, as a, you're looking at me funny. I don't know if you're. Um, <laughs> what, what is that supposed? I, <laughs> I don't know. You're, let, you're me, let me know in the comments below That's whether I squinging. look funny. Whatever that means. I, yeah, um, <laughs> and, and I'm the one that hasn't taken my uh, all-day energy pills. Um, yeah, that, and, and yes. I feel like people might actually be interested in uh, a couple more examples, like more concrete examples on. How you how you included KMM in your product then, right? Because well, uh, if you say like we established the sorting algorithm was a great way yeah. of convincing yeah. your own team, um, but I'm sure you also got a little bit further. So yeah, for sure. Um, so I can actually maybe talk about specific things that people can find in our apps and talk, you know, so that when they play with them, they know they're using KMM behind the scenes. Um, there's a feature in Todoist which is called filters. Uh, it does what you expect it to do. And the whole implementation of parsing of the filter query and returning the, the tasks you expect in the order you expect, that's done in KMM. That's basically a library that's independent from the main code bases. Uh, this was already the case before, and now it's a KMM library. Um, Another one we're working on that's not in production yet, but it will be it'll be soon. It's the date parsing. That's something we are pretty well known for, where when you're adding a task, you can write in natural language any date, like tomorrow, next Friday, first Monday of next year, things like this. And it will work as you expect. And that parser is also being converted to Kotlin first. That's already done and now KMM. Um, and the microservice I mentioned before, it actually adds support for filters on the backend. So actually, I lied. I realize that now. I lied. So it shares code with the Android app, actually. So the filtering code that's used as a microservice on the backend and on the Android app, it does share code. It's a common code base with a sub-module sub that's shared with the filtering logic. So that's another example that people can uh, try. And then there's you know some open source here and there. So at Doist, we have a few libraries or micro libraries, as we like to call them, that are fully Kotlin multi-platform. For example, one is to normalize strings. If you're doing comparison or sorting, you're going to need this. So it's called Doist Text Normalize. Uh, 
And I personally okay, I, also I gotta have stop some... you. I, I have to stop yeah. you. Um, I, I need to know what a micro library is, because because th this could be trend setting right here, right? <laughs> this is you, you could be the you you know just like some company did the whole microservices. You could be the micro libraries people. So tell us what <laughs> um, that is. Okay, so a micro okay, what I'm calling a micro library. This is not like an established term or anything, but it's basically a library that is focused on one specific function. In this case, the string normalization library has like two functions. That's it. It's one file with two functions. Oh, so, so you're basically talking about an npm package, right? I was gonna say the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I am. <laughs> well, it's like left pad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. yeah. So we have that, and I, and then uh, I'm not sure if this is going to pick up, but eventually your dependency list is going to be like 100 lines of micro things, <laughs> micro <know>? libraries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I also do a little bit of open source on the side, and you know I have a lot of stuff in Kotlin in the last few months. So, and, and talking about open source and your and your micro libraries, is any of this actually open source, or all of this is no, internal? all of it. All oh, of it. it's all open source. Yeah, um, all of the micro libraries, yes. Like not datist and filterist, the date parser and the filter parser, they are not open source. These two. Uh, but okay. if people go into our GitHub, the Doist GitHub, and they filter by Kotlin, they will find the open source stuff that we have. And oh, nice. same thing with my personal stuff. So it's it's. Yeah, we'll, we'll put most some of it show is there. links there for for, for yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. And I actually, I just, I just opened the Doist X normalize uh, repository here, and I see that you, when you, when you said it's a multi-platform library, I can see that it also supports JS. That makes me very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I say multi-platform, I'm always talking about JS too. Like, so very good. <laughs> Norm normalize talking about Kotlin JS. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mentioned briefly beforehand, and this is me in my role as a Kotlin JS developer advocate asking now um, that you did have some experiments with Kotlin on the web. Yeah. When did that happen? How did that happen? And what was the outcome? Why did it stop? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to ask that specifically. <laughs> but yeah. As a, as a non-Kotlin JavaScript <laughs> developer advocate, I'm going to ask, <laughs> when did it stop? <laughs> so we ran this in November and actually a little bit of December. It stopped basically because we bumped into some problems that felt blocking to like it didn't match the quality gate we expect from the code we run in production. And this is not to say that Kotlin JS is bad in any means. We're also using it in a very specific way, which is trying to integrate it into an existing front end code base, you know, through the same mechanism we were talking before, like, you know, build some libraries, load them up in the front end code base and use them. The problems we bumped into, actually, I'm, we're very optimistic we can revisit this in a few months when Kotlin 1.6.20 is out, because some of the bugs were reported were fixed in that version. Uh, some others we think are scheduled for later versions. But basically, I think the two bigger problems are, one is type mapping. So it's hard to map types between Kotlin and, in this case, TypeScript. We use TypeScript, by the way. So, And it, it kind of like fails in very like basic ways, like you use a list. Well, you can't map a list. Uh, you use any any interface. Well, that doesn't work either. Um, and actually, the interfaces one was fixed for the next version. So we're excited to try that out. Another one is uh, number. Like you do use a long. 
you get a, like a Kotlin type out. And for the web developers, this is like, you know, this is, this is not ergonomic at all because we use something else. We use number. Uh, so they, they're like, can we force this to kind of, like, can you give us a number? And, but we can't, like, there's not a, like an easy way to make or to override the mapping. So type mapping was really, I think, the core issue that we bumped into. Um, we still did an internal demonstration, like this can work in the future, but there was a lot of gymnastics to make types work for us. Um, and another one was bundle size. Uh, so we, bundle size is tricky when using Kotlin JS, uh, because you know even if we keep our dependencies to a minimum, it, it's a little bit big, bigger than we would expect. As soon as we start adding dependencies, you know, coroutines, ktor, it's, it blows up. It goes into the two megabyte range, and that's a hard sell for the team, basically. These are definitely, I, I mean, you're, you're definitely echoing points that the team is also acutely aware of and that I keep prodding and uh, poking them about regularly. <laughs> so at least know that you're not alone and that your uh, requests are not falling on deaf ears. Yeah. and. I Something we I think is hugely impressive is we shared we opened some bugs around these topics uh, and added our voices to some existing tickets. Something I think it's really cool it's the activity we see in these tickets. So the team is moving forward; these issues are getting fixed, and it, it's it's not something that you know you're, it's like next year or sorry next year. This was in November, so it's misleading. But you know <laughs> it's not in a year from now. It's it's actually I think half of the things we reported on the type system have been marked as fixed for one six twenty. So and, and that's good. So it's not in a place in a good place for us, but it's getting there and it's getting there quickly and we can see it getting there, which is I think very uh, motivating for you know for for all of us who are advocating for Kotlin multi-platform internally. So if we go to lessons learned and uh, things that you would do differently mm. knowing what you know now knowing what I know now. So so two things. I think we were late to the Kotlin game, even in 2016. Like the, the team is just so much more productive and like the errors we are dealing with are they just make so much more sense. I know the billion dollar mistake is something everybody talks about, but it's actually true. And we can see this in our, you know, in Sentry basically. Um, overall I think we were very paralyzed before I talked about that idea of you know demonstrating things in a real project, and we have did we have we have that high, high like impetus internally to kind of like just let's rewrite something we we can use right. So let's not do R and D for R and D's sake. Let's do, build something useful. But then when you want to make a demo, you are just paralyzed because the scope is too big. So the situation I was describing before was not hypothetical. It actually happened to us for uh, quite a while. Uh, and that making that leap into into a demo project was something that really benefited us. I don't really have like uh, more regrets. Even these are quite weak. So I think our progression with Kotlin has been smooth. Uh, we've been taking it slow, following up on our experiments, getting it into production, validating. That's always super important. Um, and yeah, I think it's a good sign that everybody inside the company that works with Kotlin never complains about their technology or tooling. So I think that's a good sign, uh, which, as we know, <laughs> is pretty common. In... Hadi is raising an eyebrow. <laughs> so you think that from a tooling perspective, 
KMM is everything you need right now, or do you feel something is missing? From a tooling perspective, <clears throat> I mean, I, f- I feel like KMM and or Kotlin multi-platform in general, I think there's a thing where it's very easy to go into an edge case. Like if you're working with Kotlin multi-platform all day, it's easy to, at some point to find your IntelliJ idea, you know, using all the memory it can because something is out of whack and you have to restart. I feel like that's never the case if you're just using you know, the regular mainstream workflows. It's like ex- extremely reliable when you're doing you know, Kotlin JS, Kotlin native, like all of these things at once all day it can go into some tricky situations, but I think it's a minor complaint. Like a lot of people have these uh, much worse issues with their tooling and their setups. And the truth is that tooling around Kotlin is pretty good, which is unsurprising because JetBrains is a tooling company, right? So it's 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 really good. It's well integrated. And I, I, I what I said actually comes from a background where we have, for example, our backend team, which works primarily with Python, and we have issues with how do we run all of these containers and like you know do the orchestration and make sure it's compatible across all of the developers that join the team and so on and so forth. Do we use Docker? Do we use Kubernetes? Do we build something internally? There's always this question when people are using Kotlin or Kotlin technologies. You know, it's just Gradle and IntelliJ. IntelliJ just fire up things and they work. It doesn't matter if you're on Windows or macOS or Linux. Usually, it doesn't matter if you have things in. You don't need to install a bunch of things to make things work. It's just kind of like works out of the box, and like that's a lot of time saves and a lot of frustration saves. So, and what do you use in terms of tooling? Are you using basically Android Studio with the plugin for? Uh, iOS development, or are you using app code with the plugin for uh, Kotlin development? Um, neither. So the, the Android team, yes, is using Android Studio. Uh, the the people who are working on multi-platform, they're using IntelliJ IDE Ultimate with all the plugins basically loaded up, and Xcode on the side. So Xcode, it Xcode, needs to there's be there. always Xcode. Xcode yeah. is like uh, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm not going to say that. I was going to make a comparison to something that I'm not. But yeah, that's uh, that's actually cool to hear that you are uh, developing mobile apps with with IntelliJ as well because you don't you don't see that quite as much now. We are slowly running out of time, but I actually still want to uh, talk about uh, one topic, uh, and that is the the side projects that you that you mentioned mm. uh, when before the show, uh, and I think yeah, Hadi yeah, is yeah, gonna yeah. be especially interested in that for no particular reason Ooh. whatsoever. <laughs> is it about okay, tooling? So- um, <laughs> kind of. Driver. We'll get there. We'll get there. So uh, around the libraries, uh, I know what you're getting at. I know what you're getting at, Seb. But I'll 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 take a minute to pause and talk about some of the libraries I've built, which I recommend people check out because they have helped immensely on this multi-platform journey. They're on my GitHub. It, they're they're mostly for testing, filling some gaps around Kotlin JS, things like making it easy to learn to load resources and tests across all platforms. Uh, that's, I guess, something, a, work, a common workflow. Another one is making tests run with any available browser and not like strictly the ones you specify. That's something that always annoys me when I have to share code with others. And I use Firefox, they use Chrome. Somebody else doesn't use any of these and then t- tests fail because uh, so there's a use any browser extension. Um, and so forth. But I, I, what you were talking about is uh, a feature flag service. So it's kind of tooling for teams. Um, so recently, we've been working on an open source project, which is 
basically a feature flags solution. And it's so far just Kotlin. There's server-side Kotlin. We're using KTOR 2.0 already. Uh, there's two kinds of SDKs, front-end SDKs, back-end SDKs, also Kotlin. They're sharing a lot of code. There's a dashboard, which is using Kotlin JS with uh, the React wrappers. It's also sharing quite a bit of code with the, everything else, like validators, for example. Same email validation on the front end and back end. That's kind of magical, right? Like you're, you're, you're sure you're using the same things back and forth. Um, this is an early project. We started this late last year. It's not finished, although it's, there's a demo available now. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's questions about this, but it's, I think, if we can pull this off, we can, if we can get that issue count down to zero, it's around, right now it's around 30. It's, I'm pretty sure this can be a poster child for the technology because it covers basically almost everything. Not WebAssembly, but that's it's in, in its infancy right now. So, But this is open source. Yeah, yeah. It's at so, Zoist slash FFS. So surely you GitHub. can get that countdown because there's the whole world that contributes to open oh no sorry there's the whole yeah, world yeah. that consumes open source that's and not how open source right. works yes that's not how it works <laughs> come, come on Adi, you know better yeah I, i'm sorry but that's actually cool you know there's been so many people lately that are coming onto this podcast saying uh that they use ktor in some shape or form that i'm thinking that maybe i should do a new podcast called talking the weather with ktor on the side <laughs> Actually, or weather. That's half these weather. episodes anyway. I got my I got my fix with Kotlin JS in this episode. I'm I'm feeling good. I'm I'm gonna ride that high <laughs> for the next like ten episodes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yep. It was funny because when you were saying we we started working on this November and and December, I thought you were about to say, and in January first, there was some bug that made the whole thing <laughs> stop. Like that one from what was that one from Microsoft with the the email stop getting sent out. Yeah, um, exchange saving uh, their yeah, yeah as as a string or as a, as an integer or something like that. Very weird. I think it was yeah, doesn't matter. Anyway, you were saying Gonzalo. Yeah, yeah, I was just, just saying Ktor was one of the. <clears throat> I know, I know, we're all biased, but Ktor was one of the highlights. I think of all the things we used. We we also tried it. We, we used this opportunity to try a few different things, and for me personally, Ktor and SQL Delight actually were the two highlights of things I really, really want to use again um, because I like how they work. Like, they just make sense to me. So That's wonderful to hear. But, but I do have to ask the question, why KTOR? Why not any of the other HTTP formats? Why not Spring? Why not HTTP 4K? How did you, what, what did you look at and how did you s settle with KTOR? Yeah, and we're that's running out of time, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs> the only thing important is you chose Kator. That's okay. See, I can I can make it brief. Um, so I like I like prior experience with Kotlin or actually JVM uh, backend framework. So no bias, no prior bias, prior experience. I'm carrying into this. I really only looked at Kator in Spring. I didn't look at anything else. Uh, and I chose Ktor because I think first-party support is, when it exists, it's really good. Like, if the folks working on the language and the ecosystem are also the folks working on the framework, that can be a bonus in the long run, in my opinion, because Ktor will be Kotlin first, while Spring, honestly, it's Java first with Kotlin adjustments. Like, it, it can be very comfortable to use in Kotlin, but it was not built for Kotlin and in Kotlin, right? So there's that difference there. I also really like, in terms of design, how Ktor 
it has a bunch of things you need, almost everything you need, but doesn't go in and force you to use, you know, just use this structure and there's nothing else. I come from a background of Ruby on Rails, which by the way, I love, no, no problems there. But when you start scaling and your, your, your feature set becomes non-trivial and your architecture grows, sometimes it feels like all the strictness is working against you. You know, what helped you in the beginning, it's now suddenly constraining you. And I really feel like KTOR in terms of architecture and design strikes a nice balance of, you know, providing conventions, providing some structure, but also being extremely flexible to whatever you want to do. And it also has some really amazing features, like type-safe routes are just, <laughs> they are cool. They are very cool. By the way, we also share these between the, the server, SDKs, and the dashboard on the front end. So it's another good example of sharing code. Nice. And by the way, I, if you're using IntelliJ, I don't know if you've seen with added support for this as well, um, a, a bunch of features to make working with these easier through IntelliJ IDEA. Uh, but there's there's a point that you make which is is exactly the discussion I was having with the with the Ktor team the other day, which is active record that you talk about with Ruby on Rails, right? It it is great for eighty percent of the cases or seventy or whatever. It is great for getting started, and I'm not saying that it's not great for the long term. But a lot of times, folks that come to Ktor they struggle with how should I organize my roots? What structure should my application have? And they they say I need some guidance, and the worry that 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 we have is that if we give you the guidance which would say okay well, this will make you easy for you to start, that guidance might not be the guidance you need. You know, six months down this time when when you've built your application and you realize that well, the active record pattern for me doesn't work, or the structuring my you know roots in this class containers don't work. Yeah. So, and it's very difficult to strike that balance of let's get people started as fast as possible, but at the same time, let's not say this is the true way of doing it. You see yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I think, I mean, there's always things to improve, but I think the documentation strikes a nice balance between giving all of these options out, but also there's like the, the examples are there and they show a specific way of doing things. And a lot of... If, when reading the documentation, a lot of the copy says, you know, we recommend doing it in this way. And an example is like one function per route, the, the whole install routes workflow as extension yeah. methods to the application. Like, I, I do feel like these are recommendations that people can follow, or at least that's what I did. I had not used KTOR to its full capacity before. Like the microservice I mentioned before, it, it uses KTOR, but it's it's just kind of like a wrapper around, you know, I want HTTP to come in and spit out some JSON. And that's it. No endpoints, no arguments, nothing. For FFS, it was very different. Multiple endpoints and API, authentication, cores, like all of those nice little things. Um, and even though the framework is not forcing any kind of structure, the documentation is suggesting to try things out in a specific way. Um, and that's been very helpful for me in the beginning because like many others, I didn't know how to do things. So I came in, I had all of these features, like how to actually use this. I didn't use any of the generators available online. I know there's a project generator available. I didn't try that. Um, but I felt handheld by the documentation in saying, you know, hey, here's how we recommend you do things. And I started doing it in that way. And actually today, most of it is in that specific form and structure still. 
but some of it has already changed because you know you start using things you realize oh this would be useful for me and then you can refactor and change and that's the key part that would be missing in a ruby on rails scenario without some <laughs> you know you can always change things in ruby but it's not always obvious what you're doing so dynamic languages have that special flair to them well, I think we've covered a lot of things today and we have run out of time. Uh, so, Gonzalo, thank you so much for coming on the show. My um, pleasure. Thank you. I'm going to check out the source for FFS uh, probably this weekend. It's great because somehow we always end up recording these episodes on a uh, on a Thursday, which means I always get my, my weekend plans settled easily with all the cool things we get to talk about. Uh, so, yes, thank you, Gonzalo, for coming on the show. Thank you for your kind words, um, especially around KTOR. Good to meet you. Thank you for, thank you for having me. Um, and, and, and you humored, uh, uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Seb with Kotlin.js stuff. Yes. Uh, humored. But, um, yeah, humored you, <laughs> humored. yes. Uh, and talking about being humored, if you want to humor us, make sure that uh, you hit that like button. Uh, make sure you subscribe if and only if you actually want more content from us. But then again, who doesn't? Right. And if you really want to be notified, you know, especially when you're lying on the sofa in the evening on a Sunday Closing and you're like, off. huh, what should I be doing now? Ding, ding, ding. New episode of Talking Cotton and Out. Right. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Take care, everyone. Bye bye.